as we get into uh, part three this evening, and uh, we won't finish uh, verse one tonight. And uh, for those of you who are looking out going, um, this is going to be a long series. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and tell you, yep, it's going to be a long series. And, uh, but nonetheless, uh, it will begin to move forward once we get past some of these, uh, these foundational teachings that you find in the opening verse of chapter 2, verse 1. And uh, so read with me, if you will, Second Peter chapter 2, verse 1. But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. So tonight we're going to get into part 3 of apostates among us. Father in heaven, we ask you, dear Lord, this evening, uh, please move in a mighty way. Bless us, dear God. Meet with us, if you will, tonight. Uh, open up our hearts. Give us clarity of thought. You know what's on my heart. You know the labor that's gone into this this evening uh, that you want to bring forward tonight. And I pray, uh, dear God, that you allow exactly what you would have to be heard uh, to be received, uh, dear Lord. And I pray for those that will be uh, listening and or watching, Father, uh, outside another time, uh, different venue. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would have them search their hearts, and if they be part of any organization uh, that falls under the guise that we will see here uh, the inspire, in the inspired work that Peter had penned, uh, Lord, I pray that you would convict them, Lord God, that they would repent, uh, get out of there, and get into a Bible-believing work, a Bible-believing church, uh, no matter what drive it may take, Lord. In Jesus' name we ask these things. Amen and amen. So again, last week... We spoke about these apostates that are among us, okay? And, and we see here uh, in, in 2 Peter chapter 2, the Bible says that they privily shall bring in Daniel heresies. We'll get into that in just a moment. Jude refers to these very same people. He states that they crept in unawares. And we established that definition uh, of what that means, that they were stealthy criminals, guys. Uh, criminals of the grace of God who seek to do nothing, uh, nothing less but replace, okay, replace the teaching of the gospel of Christ. And uh, so there's a few historical things I want us to cover here tonight before we get into uh, uh, the next part of verse 1. Um, you know, when you read our history, and you begin to read our history here uh, throughout the British Isles, throughout Great Britain, the United Kingdom, throughout all of, of what encompasses uh, not just uh, you know, England, Wales, and Scotland, but then Northern Ireland, the surrounding isles, uh, but the, the entire kingdom of Great Britain at one time, whereas it once said that the sun never set on Great Britain. And we understand that. What a glorious and, and wonderful history we have. But when you begin to look at the secular history that is written by our state, you will find that they, they, the Catholics lay claim to having brought the gospel of Christ to the British Isles, which is a lie before God Almighty. First off, they cannot bring that which they do not or did not have, and neither one. They don't have the gospel today, and they never had the gospel before. Okay, so we need, I want us to clearly, I want us to set some, some boundary lines here. Now, I have taught you guys for the last eight years dispensational teaching, biblical dispensationalism. I've taught you how to take the scriptures and put a square peg in a square hole. I put a round peg in a round hole, a triangular uh, peg in a triangular hole. This is what I have taught you. And if you have listened and paid attention, you have that ability to do that tonight. And in, in understanding the, what the clear gospel is, and understanding even better as we've laid out in the past two weeks, that these false teachers that are among us today 
are not saved, backslidden Christians. They are lost people who have denied the Lord Jesus Christ, and they seek to do what? Change and alter and replace the gospel of Jesus Christ. So first and foremost in history, Catholicism could not have brought the gospel to the British Isles for various reasons. Number one, they don't have the gospel. Number two, they didn't have the gospel. They never have had the gospel. They never have been right. Do you understand that tonight? Let us, let's make it clear. You say, preacher, you're, that's rather harsh. No, it's rather truthful. You understand? I, I am not concerned about offending someone uh, online. I, I'm not concerned about that. There is an offense in the cross, and that offense in the cross draws the line. That group of people never have and do not have the gospel. They could not have brought it here. Secondly, the gospel in our land, as a matter of fact, in the very land that you and I stand on, and I mean literally tonight, here in the Cunning Valley, but all throughout Welsh, the gospel, according to the word of God, the gospel that Paul preached, dates back at least here in Wales to A.D. 63. A.D. 63. You know, and that was the Baptist, Baptist or biblical doctrine that was being taught that evangelized the Celts here and throughout the region. So historically, guys, about 50 years prior to the birth of our Savior, the Romans invaded the British Isles, okay? We know that. We know that by history, right? And in the, they did so in, in the reign of a, of a Welsh king, uh, Cassabellian, all right? But having failed in their conquest, all right, uh, um, they, they failed to conquer the nation in those days, the Welsh nation. I'm speaking about Wales tonight. Not talking about England or anywhere else. Of course, there wasn't an England at the time, but I'm talking about the, nat the, the native people of Wales, the Celts, okay, of all of Britain. So what happened was, because of this, uh, uh, you know, it, it, there was more important war wars that followed. Uh, uh, they conquered the Welsh nation. They made peace with them. There wasn't a, there wasn't a uh, I wouldn't say they, were, they conquered the Welsh nation. They tried to, but they made peace with them. And during that period of time, Welsh soldiers began to join the Roman army. And many of them and their families um, from Wales visited Rome, all right? Now, what year did I, we know 50 years prior to the birth of our Savior, this is what happened. You fast forward uh, many, many decades, we find that among whom there was a certain woman whose name was Claudia, okay, who was married to a man named Pudus. All right, Welsh man, Welsh woman. And at the same time that they had made their travels to Rome, now you're looking at many decades later. Matter of fact, you're looking at over a century later. The year now is A.D. 63. Okay, Jesus Christ had already been born, had lived 33 and a half years, uh, crucified on the cross, buried in a grave, risen again, and thousands upon thousands upon thousands of men, women, and children believed on the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation, and the gospel now has gone to the regions beyond. Now, the last decade of the Apostle Paul's life was A.D. 58 to A.D. 68, and then by the time uh, he leaves in A.D. 60 from Caesarea, he's making his way to Rome. By A.D. 63, this lady named Claudia, this man named Pudence, who were married, come and visit Rome. And we know that Paul is in his own hired house that we read about, Acts 21. Or, yeah, 20, Acts 26, sorry. And so he's in his own hired house for the space of two years, and it's about the same period of time. So Pudence and his, his wife, uh, Claudia, 
belonged to Caesar's household, all right? And they were under the blessing of God. They were able to, to partake in here of Paul's preaching. Uh, and they were brought to the knowledge of the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ. And according to what we understand tonight, they accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Now, how do we know this? The last letter that Paul writes in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 21, says, Do thy diligence to come before winter. Eubulus greeteth thee, and Pudens... Linus and Claudia, and all the brethren. Now you say, well, preacher, hang on a second. How do you, well, I researched this out on, multi, on, on different writers, historians, respected scholars. Matthew Henry in his commentary, 2 Timothy 4, references the very Pudence and, and Claudia as Britons, and they re- recognize them as eminent Christians uh, in Rome, uh, as does a, a multitude of other uh, authors and writers and biblical scholars uh, that goes all the way back into those days. We find that these, together with other Welshmen among the Roman soldiers who had tasted uh, of, the, of the Lord's gracious gift, exerted themselves on, on behalf of the countrymen in Wales, and they, they brought themselves back. They brought the gospel right here into the country of Wales, of which at the time, the, the natural Celts were vile idolaters. But the gospel came back. And it didn't just come back like, hey, there's something new. It came back with fervor. They came back because of this woman who given her, I mean, really and truly, you know, when we read about uh, Priscilla and Aquila, there's multiple times that, that Paul uh, lists Priscilla in front of Aquila, and which in my mind, uh, I see that as her probably being the, the more vo- voiceful of the one of witnessing the gospel. It doesn't mean she passed her. But you don't need to have a position to witness the gospel. And it just seems like here in history that Claudia's name came up, that she was voiceful of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ, brought it back to Wells, our Baptist doctrine, biblical Christian doctrine that dates back to Acts chapter 11 as taught by Paul and Barnabas who was teaching on who and what Jesus Christ was and the death, burial, and the resurrection was now brought to the British Isles. Rapidly did the mighty gospel of Christ fly abroad. And in in that very year of AD 63, when Paul, a prisoner, was preaching uh, to a few individuals in his uh, his own hired home in Rome, the seed was sown, and it was growing in the Isle of Britain. Uh, And there's nothing between AD 63 to about 8180 that's really noteworthy to mention, but the growth of Christianity continued to develop throughout our country. But in AD 180, there were two ministers by the name of Phagonus and Domenicus who were born in Wales but were born again in Rome. And it was in Rome, and there they became, these, again, eminent ministers of the gospel of Christ, and they were sent from Rome to assist their brethren in Wales. And in the same year, Lucius, the Welsh king, and the very first king in all the world, embraced Christianity and thus was saved and born again and baptized by immersion. And you say, wait a second. It sounds like they came from Rome, and it was a Roman doctrine. No, it sounds like Catholicism is not a lick. Not a lick. I'm not going to spend too much time on history tonight to show you when the, the, the Catholic missionaries invaded the different isles, but I could spend an hour tonight of telling you how they robbed islands left and right through the southeast, throughout Asia, and especially here. But that's for another evening. You see, guys, Catholicism wasn't created until the 4th century. Catholicism didn't come about until AD 327 under the Emperor Constantine. 
And therefore, these converts in Rome. See, Paul said, I must need, Paul needed to go to Rome. Why did Paul, and you guys have heard it in the life of Paul that I've taught, Paul was fixated with getting the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ to Rome. Because in that day, the Roman Empire, all roads led to Rome, therefore all roads led from Rome. He knew that the gospel could get to the regions beyond, places he would never be able to see if he could get the gospel to Rome. And he did. You see, these converts in Rome lay their Christian heritage, their Baptist heritage, at the foot or at the feet of the Roman Christians. Men such as Simon of Cyrene, who we know by history, moved there. His wife, uh, their son Rufus, Phoebe, you know, the great servant. The apostle Paul, who preached all those years, and as well as Claudia and Pudens, who were saved in AD 63 and brought the gospel back to Wales, thus bringing it to the British Isles. Now, guys, I, I'm, I'm bringing this up tonight. I'm making this a point this evening of, to show you how the apostates, which is Catholicism, and then later on in the 16th and 17th century, Anglicanism, can reject the true world, word, ridicule it, and then strive to replace it by way of holding an entire population of true believers in bondage through their vile teaching. There are apostates among us, guys. There are apostates in our land, and they're in control of much of what we see in our world today. They're controlling much of our population. In my research and studying and looking it out at the things that they teach and they believe and the strongholds they have on our own countrymen here, it is absolutely astounding. As a matter of fact, it's, absolutely, it's mind-boggling to know the success that Satan has had through a state church teaching. It's mind-boggling. I believe I told you several months ago that 66,000 infants are baptized a year just here in Wales alone. And when you begin to read and you peel back the layers, all you got to do is go to their website. Yes, it's in some what they would consider legal or archaic terminology to where most people would probably get confused about halfway through the, the, the paragraph. I understand that. They do that on purpose. But when you peel the layers back and you see the wording of what they're saying, they're, they're, they're doing things so they can lock someone in. Get them before somebody else can get them, if you will. They inoculate them with just a minor amount of truth. The rest is perversion. And once you inoculate the truth, it's almost like a vaccine. When the truth comes, that little bit of truth wards off the truth coming in. The Bible tells us that they privily, they privily shall bring in. What are they going to bring in? The Bible tells us they're bringing in damnable heresies. This is in verse 1. Even denying the Lord who bought them. Why is this important tonight? Why is this important for us to look and see, guys, they're privily coming in. What does the word privily mean? It means they quietly, just like Jude has said of what they do, that they crept in unawares. The, Jude also says that they are ungodly men, turning the grace of our Lord, uh, God, um, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. So, you know, Peter's saying they're bringing in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord who bought them. Jude is saying that they're ungodly men, uh, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Beloved, they are apostates. They're not backslidden Christians. I gave you Adrian Rogers' definition of an apostate the first week. He said an apostate is someone who has received the truth, meaning they've heard it. 
And they've rejected the truth. They've ridiculed the truth, and then eventually they seek to replace the truth. Received the truth. They heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. Rejected the truth. The Bible says they're ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men. Ridicule the truth, even denying the Lord that bought them. And then they replace the truth. How do they replace the truth? With damnable heresies. Guys, you can notice there in that verse there, it says lasciviousness. That lasciviousness, guys, that means unbridled lust. Unbridled lust. You know what a bridle is? What did James say? James said that we put, we put, we put bridle, we put bits and bridles in a horse's mouth. Why do we do that? To direct them of where they need to go, right? To control them, to dictate them, and to direct them. Lasciviousness is unbridled lust. There is no locking down. There is no um, uh, direction. There is no uh, impedance. There is nothing. It is just unbridled lust. And that's what these apostates have turned the church into, the so-called church. You mark it down. Apostates will always have some sort of sexual perversion associated with them. Always. It's either going to be outward in their actions or inward in their mind or within their mind or both. I mean, you know, one of the examples I believe that we've seen as of late is, is the refusal to, divide, to define a woman uh, amongst the, high, the, the so-called high church in her own land. Refuse to define what a woman is. That's perversion, guys. That's unbridled lust for whatever, not wanting to offend someone. It's directly associated with sexual perversion and the mental instability of our, this big movement of transgenderism. Autonomy or not, it does not matter. Anyone who remains under the banner of such religious associations, conventions, institutions, corporations are guilty by association. I mean, let me ask you a question. You, I mean, I won't run that rabbit. Guys, you, if, even if you disagree with the position, yet remain involved, you're guilty after the fact. What, what should we do as Christians and believers? We should take a stand, shouldn't we? We should take a stand. We should have some backbone. We should depart. We should forsake. Guys, you are not going to change an apostate, do you understand? No more than a leopard can change their spots. You're not going to change them. The people that stay in these organizations because mom and daddy and grandmom and granddaddy and great-great-grandma, you guys, you're a fool if you stay in there. So what are damnable heresies? What are they? The word damnable, the Greek word apolia, which is defined as destroying, uttering, utter destruction, the destruction which consists of eternal misery in hell. That's what damnable means. So you say, well, preacher, hang on a second. What if someone believes in the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, and they're just a little bit off on their dispensations, they're just a bit off, you know, they're just kind of, they're just off on a few things. Are those damnable heresies? I'm going to go ahead and tell you guys, there are some people today that uh, they don't stand on the King James Bible. They don't, they, they, they don't, uh, they don't, uh, they just don't know. It's uh, their own ignorance but they believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. They stand on that. They believe in the shed blood of Jesus. They believe that's the only way to heaven. They believe it's faith unto salvation. That's not a damnable heresy. Now, I'm a King James guy, and you should be too. That is, This is the perfect word of God. I don't need a perverted manuscript, nor do you. But I'm going to tell you, it's not a damnable heresy. It can lead to them. I'll say that. 
it can lead to it because it leads to confusion because those modern versions, they don't have the chain that comes, you understand what I'm saying. So I want to make sure we understand that. That word apolieo is, is, is translated 20 times in the New Testament. One of the prime areas where it's translated into is translated to the word perdition. That's what you find the son of perdition, one of Judas's titles. It's, it's a serious word, guys, and it's even a greater offense. Damnable heresies. It means what they're teaching is going to damn people to a devil's hell. Heresies. What does heresies mean? Well, heresies here in the New Testament is a transliteration of the Greek rather than a translation. Heresis is what the Greek word is. And the word means dissension, but it has its root in the act of taking or capturing. In other words, storming a city. So in your mind tonight, here's what I want you to think about. When you look at these, these two phrases, damnable heresies, I want you to envision that army, that's that, 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 those soldiers, those apostate soldiers. I don't care how nice and sweet and, and all this that they may seem. They are wicked soldiers led by Satan, and they're storming a city to capture your heart and your mind, to capture the hearts and the minds of the people. This is why their doctrine starts at such an early young age of locking people into their false religion. You understand? I spent a decade every year preaching in Mexico. Saw hundreds come to Christ in our meetings we had down there. We supported some of the greatest missionaries of all down there, every one of them national pastors. Most of them related to the Gomez family, or they were converts through one of the Gomez brothers. Yeah? or sons, or whatever it may be. And one of the greatest things that we found, one of the greatest threats, as a matter of fact, Brother Humberto Gomez, who was, who was witnessing and preaching to the Tatamadian Indians, there was a great division that ended up breaking up. And what happened was the Catholic priest came to where they were witnessing to these people, and they started stringing men up who had given their life to the Lord Jesus Christ, separating husbands and wives. And down here at the bottom of the hill was forcing, guys, this is in the last five to eight years. This is not a hundred years ago. But the wife would be down there and the priest would say, deny, deny your, what you have believed, confess Catholicism, give your heart over to the Catholic Church, confess the Pope to be what he is, da-da-da-da-da, and we'll let your husband go. And they would refuse to renounce their confession to proper biblical Christianity. And they would flog and they would beat the men up on the hillside. This is today, guys. God's not in that. God of this world is. That's a damnable heresy. They're coming in and they're, they're attacking. They're coming in, guys, to capture and storm a city. So do you see the danger with apostates now? They capture the hearts and the lives of the people. They capture the hearts and the lives of the countries, of the cities, of the towns, of the villages, all in the name of the church, or a church, but it's not a church. Now, guys, I'm here to tell you this tonight. I know that what we have done, and we have, a, we have more of a, a passive society, I get that. We'll just go along to get along. I'm going to make it crystal clear tonight, if I haven't in the past eight years, I'm not going along to get along with apostate. You understand me tonight? I don't want to associate with them. I think they are led by the devil. That joker up there in Abadair right now, who wears his little 
flowerly robe on the Sunday morning and bows and prays and kisses the icon of Mary is a devil-possessed idol worshiper. You say, how do you know that? Because we've seen it ourselves. Daniel had a Remembrance Day service up there a couple of years back. These, these guys, I'm telling you guys, they are apostates. They do not believe that an eternal security, they don't believe what the Bible teaches. Do you understand me tonight? And I don't want to run a rabbit this evening. I want to cover a few points tonight. I'm going to watch my time and we'll be done. But I want us to understand the severity tonight of the apostates. And the reason I am teaching this is to bring it to your heart and your mind how damnable these heresies are and what they do to people. And what they do to families and home and nations. And what they're doing right now to your friends and your family. And what you can do to get them out of it. So tonight, guys, we see that this damnable heresy leads to even the denying of the Lord Jesus Christ that bought them. Can I say this to you tonight? That salvation by any other venue than faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ solely is a damnable heresy. Solely. Jesus Christ said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. If there's any other venue whatsoever than the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, it is a damnable heresy. Okay, we're going to look at four of them tonight. When I say look at four of them, they all hail from the same root. They all lead to different areas. Salvation, guys. It's not works-based. Infant baptism, I know we've covered it before. We're going to cover it again. You say, well, preacher, you know, if you've never been part of it, how do you know? Well, I just decided to visit their own little website and see exactly what the Church of England, which is Anglicanism, which is the Wales, Church of Wales, Church of Scotland, whatever you want to call it, by any other flavor, that's what it is. So I'm going to read to you tonight from their own writings of what their own order of services of what they say and what they do and what they believe. We're not going to read the entire thing because I don't want to put you to sleep. Tonight, I know it's Wednesday night and it's getting late. But this is what they say. Here's how it begins. For every child to be baptized, this is the requirements first and foremost. For every child to be baptized, there shall be no fewer than three godparents, of whom at least two uh, be of the same sex as the child and of whom at least one shall be the opposite sex, save that where three cannot conveniently be had, one godfather and one godmother shall suffice. Parents may be godparents for their own children, that's, that's nice, provided that their child shall have at least one other godparent. The godparent shall be persons who have been baptized and confirmed and will faithfully fulfill their responsibilities both by their care for the child committed to their charge and by the example of their own godly live. And nevertheless, the minister shall have power to dispense with the requirement of confirmation in any case in which in, uh, in his judgment needs so requires. Then the service begins, part of it. Then shall the priest speak unto the godfathers and godmothers on this wise. Dearly beloved, ye have brought this child to be baptized. Ye have prayed that our Lord Jesus Christ would vouchsafe to receive him, to release him of his sins. Now, I just want to put this in the realm of common sense just for a second. This is an infant. This is a baby. And now you've prayed to release them from their sins. Does that make sense to you tonight? 
It goes on to say, to sanctify him with the Holy Ghost, to give him the kingdom of heaven and everlasting life. You have, ye have heard also that our Lord Jesus Christ hath promised in his gospel to grant all these things uh, that ye have prayed for, which promise he, for his part, will most surely keep and perform. Wherefore, after the promise made by Christ, this infant must also faithfully, for his part, promised by you, that are his sureties. Now, if, that, if you don't know what they're saying right there, what he's saying is, this infant, you're making a surety. Okay, a surety, guys, is, a, is a, like a collateral. Okay, somebody, it's a cosigner, if you will. You're making the promise, the proclamation of faith in Jesus Christ on this infant's behalf, who the only thing he knows to do is eat and sleep and soil his nappy. He doesn't have the foggiest idea of sin. But now you're making a proclamation of said faith so that he can be baptized and thus, oh, now he's going to heaven, yeah? Then it says in parentheses, until he come of age to take, a, take it upon himself, that he will renounce the devil and all his works and constantly believe God's holy word and obediently keep his commandments. I demand, therefore, dost thou, in the name of this child, renounce the devil and all his works, the vain pomp and glory of the world, with all covetous desires of the same, and the carnal desires of the flesh, so that thou wilt not follow nor be led by them. Here's the answer of the godparents. I renounce them all. Oh, but this is on behalf of the child, by the way. Then the minister says, Dost thou believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth? And in Jesus, his only begotten Son, our Lord, and that he was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, and that he suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried, that he went down into hell and, did all, and, did, and also did rise again the third day, that he ascended into heaven and ascended to the right hand of the throne of God, the Father Almighty, and from thence shall come again at the end of the world to judge the quick and the dead. And dost thou believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church? The communion of saints, the remission of sins, the resurrection of the flesh, and everlasting life after death. The answer is, all this I steadfastly believe. The Holy Catholic Church. This didn't come off the Catholic Church website. This came off the Church of England site. This is the standard order of services for an infant baptism by the Church of Wales, Church of England, Church of Scotland, the Anglican organization. The minister then will say, Wilt thou be baptized in this faith? The answer is, This is my desire. The minister says, Wilt thou then uh, obediently keep God's holy will and commandments and walk in the same all the days of thy life? I will, is the answer. The priest, just, be uh, just before following through, will say, Almighty, everlasting God, whose most dearly beloved uh, Son, Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of our sins, did shed out his most precious side, both water and blood, and gave commandment to his disciples that they should go and teach all nations and baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. Regard, we beseech thee the supplications of the congregation sanctify this water to the mystical washing away of sin. Did you guys catch that? Have you ever sat in a Christian and heard some guy mention the mystical washing away? See, guys, this is, this is satanic, do you understand? 
This is what this is. These are apostates. And we overlook the words because the overwhelming majority of people who go to these things, they don't even go to church. As a matter of fact, it's not even a rule. When you look on their side of what are the requirements, they don't have to go to church. And yet they're agreeing that they're going to walk in God's holy word. They're making liars out of all of them. To grant the mystical washing away of sin and grant that this child now be baptized therein, may receive the fullness of thy grace and ever remain in the number of thy faithfulness and the elect children through Jesus Christ of our Lord. What is that? Predestination. We'll get into that in just a moment. Wicked Calvinism. Then to make matters even worse, this pervert will deem the following. See and now, dearly beloved brethren, that this child is regenerated, regenerate, and grafted into the body of Christ's church. Let us give thanks unto Almighty God for these benefits, and with one accord make our prayers uh, unto him, that this child may lead the rest of his life according to his beginning. Do you know what just happened in that? If the people are paying attention, that in all fairness, if they were paying attention, they would run like the place was on fire. But if they were paying attention and they believe what this clown says, they just agreed that their little baby child that they put into this perv's hands to do the cross on on their face, what they've done, they've agreed that now he or she is locked. Now they're going to heaven. Hey, you're all good. Why? Because Mr. in a robe baptized you, and we made your proclamation of faith. 66,000 a year. False sense of hope of salvation. Because now you were baptized with this little bowl, and I stuck my thumb on your forehead, you're going to heaven. Do you understand how this is a damnable heresy tonight? Do you see the, the degree of it? Guys, we have got to stand up against this stuff. You're a preacher, you say, but it, it's been like this for thousands of years. I don't care. <laughs> it doesn't, but I don't care. The truth has been here longer than they have. The Church of England doesn't go back until the 1500s. Hey, this right here goes back a lot longer than that. We got the creation of mankind, amen. And you say, and I'll go and tell you this, the gospel of Jesus Christ has been in our land right here longer than these perverts have. We go back to the first century, preaching of the gospel of the apostle Paul and the souls won there in Rome. And then they came back home and shed, and, and, and shed the gospel throughout here like a wildfire, amen. And by the time the second century rolled around, when one of the vilest emperors to ever rule, Marcus Aurelius, in AD 180, the gospel went through this area here like flames of fire. The true gospel. And Satan stuck up his, he, Satan turned the notch up just a little bit further now, didn't he? Knew he couldn't beat him with pagan Rome, therefore tried to, be, tried to join with him with papal Rome. And because of one king who wanted to have a divorce, he kicked the Catholics out. And all he did was give them a cousin called the Church of England who still pledges their allegiance to the Holy Catholic Church. Do you see the damnable heresy in it now? Do you know where they lay claim to baptize? This has always mind-boggled me. Because there is not one scriptural reference of a sprinkling baptism in the Bible. I'll give you a thousand pounds if you find it. There's not one reference of an infant being baptized. Not one. And it has boggled my mind. 
I mean, I understand they don't believe the Bible. I understand they pervert the Word of God. I understand they can corrupt it. I understand they're apostates and they're trying to replace it. I get that. But how in the world countries, entire nations can believe their lies when it's not even written? I'm like, where do they get this? And I finally found out where they actually get it. Mark chapter 10. I'm going to have it on the screen for you to give you a little ease tonight. So we, need, we need to hurry up. Mark chapter 10, verses 13 through 16 says, And they brought young children to him, that he should touch them. And his disciples rebuked those that brought, that brought them. But when Jesus saw it, he was much displeased and said unto them, Suffer the little children to come unto me, and forbid them not, for, for of such is the kingdom of God. Verily I say unto you, Whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child, he shall not enter therein. And he took them up in his arms, he put his hands upon them, and blessed them. Nowhere in this scripture, nowhere in the words of Jesus Christ, does the idea of salvation come into play. Jesus had not died yet, so therefore salvation could not have. The Holy Spirit had not fallen yet, as it did on Pentecost, 10 days after Jesus Christ ascended on high. So that could not have happened. Nor is there any person made a proclamation of salvation on their behalf. And, the, and guys, and no, and it's, water is not even involved. Water, it's not even there. The idea of what Christ is saying here is that we have to have a childlike faith. That's the premise of what he's talking about. But this is where they get it. They, like their, they lay their entire idea of infant baptism to Mark 10. Absolutely insane. This is what the apostates say after reading Mark 10. They said, Beloved, ye hear in the gospel the words of our Savior Christ, that he commanded the children to be brought unto him. Yeah. How he blamed those that would have kept them from him. All right, how he exhorted all men to follow their innocency. He perceived how by his outward gesture and the deed he declared his goodwill toward them. For he embraced them in his arms, he laid his hands upon them and blessed them. Doubt ye, they say, doubt ye not, therefore, but earnestly believe that he will likewise favorably receive this present infant. That child is already going to heaven because that ba because they are innocent. Do you understand? Is they are innocent. Then they go on to say that he will embrace him with the arms of mercy. They say this, that he will give unto him the blessing of eternal life and make him partaker of everlasting kingdom. That child is already going to heaven because they are innocent. And until they reach the age of accountability, which we don't know what that age is, that is not a numerical age, that's when they have to give an account for themselves. And it goes on to say here, bring an infant to his holy baptism. Let us faithfully and devoutly give thanks unto him and say, guys, that's heresy. Absolute, pure, unadulterated heresy tonight. I'm going to stop there this evening because it's late, it's getting dark, and I want you to get home safe tonight. We're going to pick up with the other three heresies, the other three damnable heresies next Wednesday morning at 10 a.m. You do not want to miss it. You do not want to miss it. Because guys, I cannot, I cannot for the I cannot for the life of me stress the importance of us understanding the world that we live in today. Why we need to draw a line in the sand. I'm not, guys, I'm not telling you to go out there and pick fights with people. But I am telling you tonight to stand on the premise and the perfection of the word of God tonight and don't allow these people. You know what they're doing? Damnable heresies. 
They're attacking our people. They're attacking your people. They're attacking your family. And Satan has been so successful, not only through that form of false, false religion, but he's, in, he's been successful in the broad brush. You see, there's one crowd that gets lock, stock, and barrel, and they, they believe that, that little baptism there and that confirmation when they were 12, 13, 14 years old so they can go to a proper high school. Hey, they believe that right there. Hey, they're good. They're going to heaven. Why? Well, because some guy told me. Then you got the other side that can see through it. you got the other side that looks at it and say, you know what? Something's wrong there. Something ain't right. And they broad brush everybody that names the name of Christ. And they become indifferent and callous, and they sear their heart that the Holy Spirit of God has a problem or can't even touch it. That's how Satan has been so successful. That he has plagued our nation and our people with the spirit of indifference, and they lock us all in the midst of the apostates. And beloved, we need to stand firm tonight on the truth. Father, we thank you, Lord, for all you've done, for who and what you are. I pray, dear God, you give everyone safe travel and mercies home. I love you. And Lord in heaven, I thank you so much for giving me the truth, for sending a man of God into my life who had a backbone, who took a stand on the precepts and the perfection of the word of God and for guarding us, my Lord and Savior, for guarding us from the apostates in this world. Lord, I pray for those in our immediate surroundings, for our family, for our friends who may be hurting and harmed by the apostates today. Lord God, please let them flee. Let them find a... a Bible-believing church, get fed. Those who need to be saved, be born again. In Jesus Christ's name we ask. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. I do hope I and do. pray the sermon you just heard was a tender blessing to your heart and to your soul. I hope that it gives you the encouragement, edification, to face the challenges that we see each and every day and week throughout our life. I'd like to invite you out to one of our live services here at Saren Chapel in Aberamon. We are located on Lewis Street as well as Davis Street. Davis Street is the entrance to our chapel and as well as Lewis Street is the entrance to our hall and you can use either one of them. But secondly today, guys, I would like to share just a brief message to you now to ask you to where you are going in eternity. If today was the last day you were alive, if today by some tragedy this was the last moment you had on this earth, when you closed your eyes, would you wake up and see Jesus Christ? It is a simple question, guys, and it is even a more simple answer. The Bible tells us that for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, paid the ultimate price for mankind. He gave us the free pass to eternal life by giving his life on the cross of Calvary, being buried into that grave, but rising again on the third day. It is simple as this. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 10 and verse 9 that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. You see, guys, while we were sinners, the Lord Jesus Christ loves us so much that he gave his life. As a matter of fact, Romans 5, 8 tells us, but God commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Sin is defined as the transgression of God's law. But what happened was the payment with, for mankind is death. Romans 6.23 clearly tells us, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. So I ask you today, what would, what would stop you right here, right now, for bowing your head and saying a prayer much like this, Lord Jesus Christ, I trust in you. 
Jesus Christ, I believe that you died on the cross for my sins, and I believe that you stepped up out of the grave to give us victory over sin and victory over death. I invite you into my heart and ask forgiveness of my sins and ask you to lead God and direct me throughout the rest of my life. Now, here's the thing. You say that prayer in your own words, but you have to say it and believe in it. Remember, Romans 10, 9 says, and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. That is a promise from the word of God. That is a promise from God himself. That is the promise from the creator of all things, that if you'll believe on Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior today, ask forgiveness of your sins, accept his free gift and pardon of sin into your heart today, that you will be born again, that you will have eternal life in heaven. Guys, I hope and pray this is a blessing to you today. I hope and pray that you'd make that decision. And if you have, if you've made that decision today, let us rejoice with you. Come by and see us here at the church or hit us up online at any of the social media outlets or through email or however you can. Just share with us the glorious transformation that you just received in your life. Guys, I hope to see you soon in the house of God. Hope to see you soon right here in Sharon Chapel. And may the Lord be with each and every one of you. God bless.